You're listening to the Tax Bits podcast, where we provide bite-sized tax updates and news that impact you and your loved ones. As always, you can find show notes and resources for each episode at cartaxlaw.com. Now, here's your host, Jason Carr. Hello once again, and thanks for tuning in to this month's tax podcast. As always, if you know others who might benefit from listening, let them know they can find the podcast on their platform of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So over the past few episodes, we've learned about various resolution options, such as the offer and compromise, installment agreements, including the partial pay installment agreement, and the CNC, which basically puts a collection hold on your account with the IRS. So this month, I'd like to start reviewing a little bit more detail some of the forms required to qualify for some of these programs. Now, let me forewarn you now. Some of the forms the IRS requires are extremely cumbersome. I mean, this is the government we're talking about. You know, why make something easy when you can make it five times harder than it needs to be? Now, in the world of tax debt resolution, one of the most challenging forms to complete is the 433A. And it's not that it's overly difficult to understand The IRS for sure has more difficult ones, but what makes this form such a pain is that it asks for a lot of financial information and requires you to compile months of supporting documentation to submit when you send it to the agency. So first, let's talk about, you know, what is the Form 433A? Well, it's a form the IRS uses to get your current financial information that's needed to determine how a wage earner or self-employed person addresses his or her tax liability. In other words, they're going to take a look at your your financial picture, including your assets, income, and expenses to determine, you know, how if you qualify for an offer and compromise or an installment agreement. If you if you're setting up a payment plan, how much can you afford to pay? So that's the, basically the 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 gist of what this form is for uh, and and it requires, you know, to enter a lot of information onto the form, which is what we're going to talk about. So and then there's several types of people who might you know, have to fill out the Form 433A. Uh, one, obviously, if you owe income tax on your Form 1040. So if you owe tax debt for your personal tax returns, you're going to have to fill out this form if you're trying to get a fourth, you know, an offer compromise or you know, a partial pay installment agreement set up. Uh, you also may be a responsible person for what's called the trust fund recovery penalty. Uh, and just FYI, that's taxes... Uh, They're called trust fund taxes because you actually hold the employee's money in trust until you make a federal tax deposit in that amount. So this deals with with, uh, taxes owed by a a business for um, unpaid payroll taxes, and they they revert to you as a personal uh, individual. Uh, You're liable if if you're the owner or you're you're some kind of party that's um, been assessed this TFRP penalty. Um, you, you may also be personally responsible for a partnership liability, so you may have to fill out one of these. Um, also, or, or you know, alternatively, you may be an individual owner of an LLC that's disregarded an entity. A disregarded entity refers to a business entity with one owner that's not recognized for tax purposes as an entity separate from its owner. For example, a single-member LLC is considered to be a disregarded entity. Uh, or it could be you're a person who is self-employed or has self-employment income. 
And just so you know, you're self-employed if you're in business for yourself or carry on a trade or business as a sole proprietor or independent contractor. And also one other point, we're talking about the 433A. So this is obviously for individuals. There's also a 433B, which I'm not really going to cover today. Uh, but if you were filling out an offer and compromise for a business, uh, and yes, you can get an offer and compromise for a business, uh, you would have to fill out the 433B B form. So again, a, four, four, a 433A is just a form that gathers information about your finances. That includes your debt and assets. Uh, you'll need to state your personal information, employment information, and an accounting. And basically, you're given an accounting of your personal assets, business assets, and, and monthly household budget. It's a financial snapshot of where you are financially right now. And the IRS uses the form to see if you're able to satisfy an outstanding tax liability. For example, if you're applying, like I said, if you're applying for an offer and compromise, and that's just as a reminder, that's a settlement with the IRS to pay less than the total amount you owe. So if you want to make this kind of deal, you'll need to complete this form. And officially, it's used by the IRS to determine your what's called reasonable collection potential uh, on your tax debts. Now, as I mentioned, this is a cumbersome form. It's a whopping eight pages long. I know. Uh, so let's look at the, let's let's talk about some of the different types of information required on the form. Uh, as you're f- following along with this, I encourage you to go download it. You can find it on the Car Tax Law website, uh, or you can just go to the IRS and and download it. So again, Form Four Thirty Three A is what we're talking about. Uh, in the first section, it's personal information. Uh, this is pretty straightforward. It's your marital status, uh, ch- if you have children, uh, you know, if you rent or own your home, uh, and then your vitals, your address, date of birth, social security number, contact information. So personal you know, information. Uh, section two asks about your employment, where you work and what you do. Um, you know, if you're self-employed, it wants to know that. Uh, plus, if you're married, you have to state this for, you know, for the spouse, too. Uh, and they're going to want to know that information as well. Uh, section three asks about your personal assets. Here you have to give some details about, about what you own, like your money in bank accounts and investments. And you need to list all your personal assets, including furniture, vehicles, PCs, jewelry, anything of value. They want to know about it. Uh, and what they're looking for there is you know, if, if you could potentially sell it to satisfy your tax debt, right? Uh, the next sections, um, uh, four, five, and six, they're applicable only if you own your own business. Uh, and you have to fill these out even if you're a sole proprietor. So that means uh, even if you haven't set up a, a, a official company structure like an LLC, uh, you're still going to have to do this if, if you have a business. Um, let's see. Section five asks for your business asset information. So you need to list any assets that are held in the name of your business. Uh, this includes, you know, business computers, smartphones, work tools, office equipment, vehicles, real estate, you know, the, the works. Again, they're looking for stuff that you might be able to sell to satisfy your tax debt. Section six uh, deals with business income and expense information. Now, here's where you input your business's growth, revenue, and receipts, along with an itemized list of business expenses. Uh, The next section, section seven, is where you describe your monthly household income and estimate your expenses. So this is your personal stuff, right? You should have your social security receipts, any pension or annuity month, you know, months or quarterly statements, child support or alimony check copies that you, you know, so you can put that information in, as well as a statement of rental income and expenses for three months to do this section. So they're looking for... Um, you know, monthly household income, anything that you have coming in on a regular basis, they want to know about it. Uh, in section eight, you need to come up with your minimum, minimum offer amount. 
Uh, and then finally, the last section, section nine, is the catch-all for all other information. And this is where you input, you know, additional information, like if you're a beneficiary and a person's will or trust, um, if you're named as a beneficiary of a life insurance policy, or also if you filed bankruptcy in the past decade and, and the result. Um, you know, if you're if you're currently have a bankruptcy that hasn't been discharged, you're not going to be able to qualify for, or apply for an offer and compromise until that's satisfied. Uh, plus, you need to disclose if you're in involved in any litigation uh, or if you sold or transferred any assets uh, for which you didn't receive full compensation. What they're looking for there is to make sure that before you're applying for an offer and compromise, you haven't you know, given away or sold off assets uh, that you, so you don't have to claim them. And, uh, you know, j just as a word of advisement, I've had clients that think they're slick and the government can't track this stuff, they, they're going to find out. So don't lie because remember you're signing this, you're signing this, uh, this document under penalties of perjury. So uh, just be, be forthright, be forthcoming and, and complete it accurately. Uh, and then finally you have to tell them if you have any uh, real estate outside the U S they're going to want to know about that. Now, when you mail your 433 form in, uh, the address to which you send it is based on where you'll mail your completed 433 and offer and compromise. It typically depends on where, where, what state you're in. Uh, you know, for instance, um, uh, you know, if you live in Texas, I think it goes to Austin. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but uh, on the form, it's going to dictate, it's going to, you know, spell out where you need to send it. So just make sure you send it to the right address is my point. Uh, in addition to the form, you should also include the following documentation uh, if it's applicable to your circumstances, uh, your bank statements for the past three months. And this is what, this is what I was talking about is cumbersome in that you got to get all these, these supporting documents together as well. Uh, the most recent statements for each lender with payments, balances, and payoff amounts. So that could be like your car, your home, uh, basically anything that you have, uh, you know, that you've got a loan or something, they're going to want to see statements for the, the most, you know, typically the most recent three months. A list of notes receivable. So if you have a business and you have notes, um, or even if even if uh, you're you know you're some you loan money to some an individual, and you know you formalize it and you're getting some money from that, they're going to want to see that note. Um, a statement of verification for any delinquent state or local taxes. So if you already, in addition to the federal taxes, if you owe state or local, they want they're going to want to know how much that is. Uh, and they're going to see statements to support it. Um, a copy of your most recent pay stub. I typically advise clients to just send in the last two or three. If you're not, if you're hourly, uh, if you're salary, just send in the most recent ones. Fine. Um, also, a copy of the most recent statement for each investment and retirement account you own. Make sure you include those. So if you have a four hundred one k, whatever, uh, you can typically download that from your uh, job, you know, portal, website portal, or, or you know, benefits portal. Um, also a copy of the most recent statement from any other sources of income. So again, like if you're, if you're getting alimony or child support, uh, you typically can get, you know, get those records from the state, uh, you know, or, or whoever it's, you know, whatever agency is going through. Um, you'll need a copy of form 2048. This gives the power of attorney, uh, in the event you want an attorney or CPA to represent you, uh, in the case 28, that's actually 2848. I apologize. Um, so if you had if you had hired someone like me, you don't really have to worry about that um, uh, because I would be handling it for you and I would send in the power of attorney. So, but that just has to go with it if if someone has the power of attorney for you. Uh, and then you're also going to have to have a signing completed form six fifty six. I'm going to talk about that next month, so stay tuned. Come back and and uh, we'll talk about that one as well. Um, that's going to be involved in in uh, several of your your offers as well.
So to conclude, Form 433A is a taxing amount of work to complete. See what I did there? So when you decide you're ready, block out a few hours with your financial records in order to organize your data and complete the form you know, properly. Make sure, again, it's accurately sign it. Uh, and remember that you're signing under penalties of perjury. So don't don't stress the truth on this thing. Be honest, lay it out, give them a, a clear indication because they're gonna they're gonna back they're gonna ask for supporting documentation to back it up. So you're gonna have to prove it up no matter what. So you might as well make sure you do it right the first time. And that's it for this month, folks. I uh, appreciate you tuning in. I'll be back next month. Again, we're gonna be talking about the 656 form. So I'll talk to you then. Thanks. Bye. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues to visit cartaxlaw.com. Cartaxlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next time for another edition of the Tax Bits Podcast.